This podcast is part of the Big Data Beards virtual race to Splunk.com. Be sure to tune in to all the racing action by visiting youtube.com forward slash Big Data Beard or simply visit BigDataBeard.com and click virtualracetoconf. You're listening to the Big Data Beard. Well, hi, everybody. We are back with another Big Data Beard podcast, and this is obviously part of the virtual race to .conf, as you heard. And we are excited to have the racing action today sponsored by our friends at Dell Technologies over in France at the 24 Hours of Le Mans circuit. And what a great race that's going to be uh, to, uh, to watch. Make sure you're subscribing on YouTube so you don't miss any of that great action. But last year, if you remember, we traveled across the country in the road trip to .conf in the RV, the IoT RV. And one of the stops we made was in Austin, Texas, technically in Round Rock, Texas, at the home of Dell Technologies. And we sat down with the team behind Dell Digital and learned all sorts of great things about what they were doing to power next-generation e-commerce. And today, we are excited to have a conversation with the Dell Digital team totally new faces. I want to welcome uh, Janine Hepanowitz, CTO for Dell Digital, and Will Hudson, VP, VP for IT for Dell Digital, to the show. Janine and Will, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. Happy yeah, to be awesome. here. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having us. For sure. So, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go to .conf. Uh, it's a virtual conference, and it's virtual because 2020 is weird. I'm curious from your perspective, <laughs> when you think about what's going on with Dell Digital, how has 2020, you know, just at a macro level impacted what you and your team are focused on? Yeah, so 2020 is weird is a great way to see this up, I think. But, you know, look, um, if there was one word to describe what 2020 has been for us. It is uh, pivot. And um, we've had to pivot to work from home. We've had to pivot to enable technologies that we use in the office to be able to work from home. We've had to um, figure out how to deliver the same types of capabilities to um, our customers, you know, by working from home. So it's kind of the overriding theme that I don't, think any of us really saw coming uh, heading into 2020. It's It's been a great experience. And honestly, at Dell Digital, I think it seemed like overnight, which was actually a period of about three weeks, we moved 144,000 people working from home. But in reality, that was a journey that we were successful at because it took us a lot of years and blood, sweat, and tears getting our environment ready to do something like that. and. The great news is we were ready, and the great news is we pivoted at rapid fire speed to get people home. But then the next part of that journey became, okay, how do you enable the same capabilities people have in the office? Yeah, wasn't it, at home? Wasn't, wasn't it 2010, Janine, when Michael kind of said he foresaw 50% of the workforce being work from home or remote workers? 
And we've been working towards, yeah, we've been working towards that goal for like 10 years. And so when 2020 hit and we suddenly had to make this big pivot, it was, I was shocked at least, I don't know if anybody else was, but I was shocked at how easy it was just because we'd already put in place the infrastructure. We'd already had a significant portion of our workforce being remote. And so it was a matter of scaling up the solutions that we'd already tested and were working. And so like I was, it was intense and intense three weeks, Janine, but like I was also (laughs) surprised at how smoothly it went. Oh, well, healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we've laughed the, uh, you know, there's been a bunch of kind of, uh, you know, cartoons, technical cartoons and memes going around that, you know, 2020 is really that wrecking ball to, uh, to your, to your digital transformation plans. But it sounds like Dell, it wasn't a wrecking ball. It sounds like it was more of a, a supercharger. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I, I do for sure. And look, um, for companies that haven't really started the journey, like like Will said, like we, we started this a while ago and we were like kind of pedal to the metal for a good three years, like pedal to the metal. We were prepared for it because of that. Um, that wasn't as easy for a lot of companies, but I think in hindsight, what that has helped to fuel is almost a frantic activity around transforming environments. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like this was a really sort of an accelerator for us because we were well positioned already. It, it served as a sort of, a, you know, the pedal was already to the metal, but, you know, go past what you thought you could do and actually make the transition. Uh, so I think that we've seen lasting durable change now as a result of that into this more mobile workspace, which unlocks a lot of great things from a talent acquisition perspective and from a work-life balance perspective. And so uh, for me, I see it as a, despite the fact that this is a national or a, a global tragedy, uh, it, it like it, we have been able to leverage it for good. We, we somehow, and I don't know how this actually happened, and I'm not sure how it was even possible because you always feel like you're maxed out every single year, but we actually ramped up even faster. So like when you look at the transformation for us, like we actually are, you know, funneling millions more of, you know, pipeline runs. We are fun, you know, our app modernization has accelerated. Our end of life, you know, transformation has accelerated. Like, and I don't even know how we managed to do that other than possibly those couple hours we picked up, you know, commuting to work turned into productive hours, but like we've actually gone faster this year than I've, I've seen in the past seven years. Actually, if I, if you don't mind my adding, I think what we saw was this massive demand to move to the faster, more flexible, more agile development model, right? Like this has only accelerated sort of the demand for us to consume like infrastructure as a service that we've put in place and to consume CI, CD pipelines and tools to make our software engineering practices go faster. I actually saw a massive increase in productivity on my team, despite the fact that everybody has challenges on work from home and work-life balance. And how do I, how do I make all of this stuff work? I've saw a massive up, uptick in productivity just for my team. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been extremely encouraging. That's awesome. Now, I'm curious, you know, you talk about, you know, the areas where you're focused on, you know, making digital, digital transformation a real activity. So a lot of times when we think about like this work from home migration, everybody it defaults to, oh, well, you better have a quality VPN and you better have like, you know, uh, if you don't have folks that have physical devices, you better have like a VDI capability or something like that. But but your focus on the digital transformation acceleration sounds like it's more focused on this. How do I create the next generation of applications that empower my user base, but also go help engage my customers? 
did you did you already have those those kind of those early things figured out, and that's why you focused there, or is it just that was the demand you were getting from the from your uh, from your stakeholders that it was really about accelerating those applications? I think it's what you said. I think we actually, you know, obviously we have a great footprint when it comes to technology, you know, remote technology, right? Like we had great capabilities in the hands of our salespeople and of our, of our entire company, right? That was easy. You know, the VPN solution we fixed over a period of years. So I think to your point, because we had invested the time and energy, not knowing this was coming, but because we want a productive remote workforce anyhow, that stuff was done. So for us, that's why we pivoted 144,000 people. Then we very rapidly, because we were done there and we could actually rapidly go to the next thing, then you got to put the technology in the hands of people. And working in the office and working from home is not the same experience. Like, you know, think about like operations, right? Like operations, you sit and you look at, you know, these ginormous screens across your environment that tells you where everything, you know, is at at all times. Well, we had to create that experience at home. Yeah, I think I think Splunk played a huge role in that too, right? Uh, but I, but I also think uh, I wouldn't undersell your team's massive accomplishments in sort of making infrastructure as a service real. Like my dev and software engineering organizations, even prior to going into the COVID crisis, were able to very quickly and easily provision VMs and storage and databases with just a couple of quick clicks. And the demand for that ability massively increased as we went into the whole work from home thing. But because we had it, available. Janine's team actually is largely the ones that pioneered that. Uh, because it was available, it, it massively increased our productivity. And we're seeing the results now. Yeah, you talk about you talk about Splunk being a, an enabler, but I'm curious, you know, more practically, like the the enablement of that, you know, call it the the remote knock, right? The network operations center mm -hmm. has been a lot mm -hmm. of talk that it's uh, that it can be challenging. I'm curious, you know, kind of just from a practical guidance perspective, maybe some some macro things or themes that you thought through and that your team was focused on and engaging and enabling uh, that capability. I'd love to, if you know, help guide folks if they're on their path towards enabling that remote knock, right? What are some of the things that maybe your team has learned that you might pass on? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, you know, we are executing against an existing plan. So for us, it wasn't like that much of a stretch. And what I mean by that is, you know, and well, thanks for the, thanks for the shout out there. Um, we had automated our developer experience already. And the pieces that we were now starting to add to that, like the delivery for this year was around observability. And so whether that is, you know, your telemetry or your, um, you know, APM capabilities, or it's, you know, your logging and your insights, but whatever it is, like we were already building toward those capabilities. Um, we use Splunk and we use MongoDB to basically create our dashboards. And then we had to take those dashboards and extend those dashboards home to, you know, the user environment and on the mobile phone. So that was the other big thing that we did. So we kind of were playing and building on top of the things that were already in plan. We built the, you know, observability platform so that it is a plug and play, click, click, click kind of thing. And we've used Splunk and Mongo as kind of the engine behind how our SRE teams populate the dashboard, get the insights that they need, grab the data, and can action it. And I will tell you, I was looking at a demo earlier this week by our .com SRE team, and 
the visibility and the insights that they've created for the dashboards that sit on every, you know, whether it's a dev developer or it's a knock person or it's a, those capabilities that sit on those dashboards and where that points to now versus a couple of years ago is dramatically different. They can see where a problem exists deep into the depths of the problem, whereas before, you know, we're using Wireshark and we're backing into things and, you know, four hours later, you might have something. Today, it's real time. So that's a radically different capability and the engines that sit behind that we already had in motion, but that's where Splunk has been a huge role for us. Absolutely. You know, we've uh, we actually talked with uh, Tanuj Arcot during the race uh, today and uh, always great to hear from the dot com SRE team on how they're using, you know, modern technology and data analytics to really power next generation SRE activities. Now, you talked about that, you know, you've been successful kind of using and building uh, this ability to pull data from lots of different sources, but uh, there's been a focus on observability. And as you think about, you know, kind of next generation application development end of life in these old, you know, applications or, you know, kind of, you know, uh, modernizing them in a way that, that allows you to use, as you said, infrastructure as a service, more containerization, you know, how critical is, you know, sort of building this observability strategy into application development going to be for you in the next, you know, two to three years? I, I think it's super critical because if you think about what we're all trying to do, it's, put the technology at the fingertips of the people that need it to make decisions. Like at the end of the day, like if you think about go back seven, 10 years, you know, uh, you deployed an application and then another functional area, find, you know, help the developer fine tune the uh, visibility. And then, you know, three months later, that would, you know, application would come up, you'd have some visibility, you fine tune it for another year. Like, that's just not a successful model. You know, the capabilities that have come online now and the automation that you get by putting the observability, observability platform right at their fingertips and making it a three-click deployment is, you know, night and day. It takes a minute, right? Um, those self-service capabilities let our development community focus on the things that are important, which is developing code. Right. So it's like we've got to, as a industry, take, you know, we're all busy trying to take friction out of this experience so that our developers can do what they need to do, which is develop great code faster and be able to respond to the market. And that's really what the whole gig is about, right? Yeah. And I would go a step further even and say that it's not just super critical. I'd say it's actually imperative. Because mm -hmm. as an app owner who's responsible for at least three nines of reliability and maybe four, right? Like I can't afford to spend hours on a call anymore trying to troubleshoot where things are wrong. I need to have the right folks on the on the call immediately in order to resolve an issue, which now I can with the observability where we have these dashboards. I, I absolutely can. I've gone from spending four hours on a downtime call to now spending 15 minutes on a downtime call. And that's a huge change. But in the future, as I think about four nines and beyond, now it becomes predictive. And there's no way mm -hmm. you can get to predictive until you have the instrumentation and the observability required to be able to predict what's going to happen. And our dot-com team is the perfect example where they're already starting to take that leap. Uh, and the, the results are truly impressive. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting to me is, you know, as you very well articulated, that getting to predictive is, is certainly ideal uh, as it gives you the ability to identify 
uh, ahead of time when something's going to happen. But the more interesting thing to me that follows after that is that it's really around that automation of the next right action. And I'm curious from your perspective, as you start to think about, as you move to predictive, how critical uh, is automation to the team? And then what are maybe some of the kind of the thought processes as you think about kind of putting the right activities into, you know, con consumable projects or, or areas we're going to focus on and, you know, implementing implementation of next best action. What are some of the, 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 just the, the thinking that your team is, is going through today that's going to shape where you go with automation? Yeah. I mean, look, I think that um, automation is kind of the core to our being, right. And it's been so for the last couple of years. So on every level with everything we do, we look at it and try to figure out, how do you make it, you know, automated and predictive and how do you, you know, so whether it is a developer experience, which is a matter of clicking through, you know, platform, clicking through to deploy your platform, uh, clicking buttons to add your, uh, you know, monitoring and logging and telemetry, like, but making that really easy. The engine that sits behind that and the technology, you know, that we've also deployed is really around our cloud platforms, you know, whether it's PaaS or it's, you know, now called, you know, Panzu for app services, you know, which was PCF, the, the PaaS formerly known as PCF. Um, you know, that type of technology, it auto adjusts, right? It makes the decisions on your behalf on where workloads should run. It's really different from like a analyst making the decision on where to move things or how to fail things over, right? So I'd say that's an example of where the technology that sits behind this is also equally important as a self-service and automation capabilities that you put on top of that technology. I mean, Will, anything you want to throw in there? Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I couldn't have said it better. I think you're right. I think it all comes together, right? The automation of the developer experience along with the infrastructure as a service pass and the PCF container, containerization, it all comes together now to really enable the future state of, well, now you really can be fully automated. As your workload scales, that scaling is fully automated. No longer requires, hey, uh, a database ran out of storage space and now I have to go provision it and that created some downtime and that's disruptive for our user community. It all just happens seamlessly on the back end. And I think that's kind of the, the nirvana that we're all shooting for. I don't know that we're all there yet, but we're close. We're, we now have the technologies at our disposal to be able to enable that future. It's really important because the technology actually works. And I think this has been the promise for a couple of decades. And I don't think up until the past three to four years, it's actually really works. And I think we're to the point now, and this is on multiple fronts still, it actually works. And that's why it's important that you, you leverage it. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting because like self-healing is really a thing now. Before it was just kind of a buzzword, but now we can actually see it as a thing that can happen and is happening yeah. in some cases. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of self-healing and, and sort of scaling, I, I just got to ask because, you know, you talked about, you know, Dell's working on taking 144,000 people, you know, moving them remote, uh, you know, in light of the pandemic. And, you know, companies around the world have, have kind of struggled with this, uh, this same sort of trend. But your team kind of sits at the, at the center of this in kind of an interesting way, which is while you're trying to move everybody remote, you're also simultaneously, I'm guessing, dealing with a significant increase in demand on your e-commerce platforms because 
I'm assuming a lot of these companies, these enterprises, were out buying like millions and millions and millions of these XPS laptops because they had all these people with you know desktop computers. Well, yes. Like, what's yes. that like to try to balance that those two worlds? And we thank all of them for doing that. Um, look, we I will say one thing, and I've worked with these guys for with this team for a long time. We are good at scaling to peace. Like that is something that we actually have very much baked into our our regular rhythm and cadence. We test after every single big release. We test after every single small release. We figure out, you know, we do transactions that, you know, hundreds of times greater than we've ever seen. And we test that. So I don't want to jinx ourselves and say it was a non-event, but like, honestly, we have been preparing for that kind of thing because that's, in a lot of ways, that's our business model. We go through peaks and valleys during normal course of a year, and we are at all times on hyper readiness mode there. So I, I think, yes, we appreciate and are grateful for all the additional purchasing the customers did, but for our dot-com team, it was honestly a non-event. Yeah, I would say, as you might imagine, for the essential infrastructure company, scaling infrastructure isn't that hard for us. But uh, in fact, it, it was a much bigger challenge, I think, for our operational teams dealing with industry-wide supply chain shortages. That was really the thing that was hard, and our supply chain teams did a great job do of doing that. But like, it really was a business operational issue, not a technology problem. Yeah, you know, one thing's you know, I want to get to your kind of forward-looking plan in a second. But in the short term, you know, there's there's going to be a uh, another shift, right, in the next call it twelve to eighteen months globally, which is a lot of the workforce is going to come back. And I know that we, mm -hmm. you know, we can't look at our crystal ball and know exactly what that looks like, but your team has to be thinking about, you know, okay, we are going to come back. There's going to be some sort of pendulum swing the other direction. What is the work that you've been doing, you know, over the last call it six months? How does that sort of shape that next 12 to 18 months of strategy and what's going to be important for your team to focus on as that, that workforce begins to maybe come back into the offices, those operational models start to shift a little bit. How are you guys thinking about that more short-term plan? Yeah, I think we're thinking about what we're doing in both contexts at all time. Like we know that we will have, you know, essential employees, you know, coming back into the office, which those are the people that we expect, you know, and when I say essential, I mean the people that need to be in the office, the people that have to touch hardware, the people that for, you know, a multitude of reasons can't work from home, but they need to be in an office and they need to be part of a, a larger team. Like we're prepping for that. And we've been actually prepping for that with a really, really great um, leadership under Mark Pringle for what that return to site model looks like. But I think we've been as an organization, understanding that that to some extent is something we have to be planning for but we also believe in our heart of hearts that there will be a huge amount of our workforce that does not return to the office um the surveys we've conducted internally overwhelmingly indicate that people want a hybrid model with the majority of people favoring a greater amount of time at home so whether that's three days or four days a week or or more so We've been building toward it. I don't know that it has changed anything that we've done because, you know, we already have capabilities to run in, you know, on site. We've built the capabilities to work remote. We've extended the capabilities to mobile devices to provide the utmost flexibility. So I, I do think that we're ready, but I think it's, again, part of our normal case. 
Yeah, and as a leader, more tactically, not maybe for the Dell Technologies level, but more tactically, if I think about my organization and my team, as I alluded to earlier, we saw an actual uptick in productivity when people went home. So that calls into mm -hmm. question, what is the role of the office? Why do we need to go into the office? What are the things that we hope to accomplish by being face-to-face -face and sitting with each other, right? Like those are the questions we're having to ask ourselves. So the technology has actually rendered this to be much more a business operational question than it is a technology enablement question. Technology exists to do this however we want to. It's up to us as leaders and teams to figure out what's the most productive way to leverage the physical space versus the virtual space. Yeah, you know, and then, so you all started this conversation by, you know, telling us that, you had been working a plan for many years and and while nobody could have obviously planned for what we saw happen globally you were clearly working towards a digital strategy for dell digital to transform the business and, and i'm curious what are you thinking about as you you know if you look to to 10 years out some of that vision things that you're working on what are the priorities that you think are going to you know that are going to drive your team's actions and activities that will you know <clears throat> not the same sort of <laughs> lord willing not the same sort of global pandemic. But, you know, what is that sort of longer term strategy that you think is a macro that's going to prepare you for the future? Yeah, I, I honestly probably haven't gone 10 years out, but I'll give you the, the glimpse into the next couple. How about, how about that? Is that fair? That's fair enough. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think it is a continuation of the themes and the experiences, right? So, you know, obviously, I think through, you know, probably the early, you know, 2011, 2012, the theme is, you know, create a great developer experience. And I think to the public cloud providers credit, they built some really great experiences. But what that did is, you know, make every single infrastructure team, I think, respond accordingly when um, you know that you need to provide just as great an experience. But like, what's beyond that? Well, what's beyond that is certainly, you know, providing forms and platforms for your data scientists. And it's providing, you know, digital worker platforms. So, you know, where you're using, you know, business process automation and you're using automation to create and take care of work that is standard routine work. Like, what does that look like? What does that marketplace of workers look like where it's truly a digital worker world? Like, those are the things we start to see coming up as important and where, you know, companies need to go. I will say, though, to get to those types of outcomes, you have to have the building blocks in place to be able to facilitate that. Like, you can't actually skip all the steps that it takes between, you know, stabilizing your environment, transforming your environment, putting your modern services out there. Like, all of those steps you still have to take to get to a place where you can transform the how your company works. Yeah, and I would be remiss if I didn't add a plug to say, hey, a lot more to come on that topic at Dell Tech World in two weeks, the 21st and the 22nd. Uh, but what I would say is our own experience internally highlights the fact that our customers are wanting to consume infrastructure in a much more flexible way, as we saw when we had to go work from home from COVID, like that was a core critical enabler for us to be able to accelerate our productivity. Likewise, it will be for our customers as well. And so that, that'll be a core question for like, okay, well, how do we cloudize this stuff? How do we make it more flexible consumption models? Because to Janine's point, the public cloud providers are, have a good experience, but it's not exactly what all the infrastructure teams want, right? There are limitations to it. 
Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And well, we forgot to talk about data <laughs> because it still is a data, 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 data world, right? That's like right. the data, the insights, the volume, the structure, the where it sits, how you process it. Like, yes, I mentioned data scientists, but that is also of all the things that I mentioned, that's actually probably the one that is the most explosive. Absolutely. Well, as we, you know, you talk about data, I mean, I think we'd be remiss as this is part of Splunk's.com uh, kind of virtual race series. I'm curious about your, your partnership with Splunk as a data platform is uh, how critical is Splunk to, uh, to your capabilities to enable many of the things we talked about here today? Yeah, no, I think Splunk has, has well, first of all, like, I kind of consider our relationship with Splunk a really good marriage because like at our cores, we're both good for each other, right? Um, you know, Splunk is a great engine to drive, you know, insights and to enable, you know, the modeling that you can get from the data, right? And Dell, I think, runs the industry-leading platforms for that to run on. Like, it's a great partnership between our companies. Um, I think, you know, when you talk to, um, you know, some of our folks on the dot-com team, and they've probably showed you how they have been able to solve problems that have been problems for a really long time. And especially, again, I'm going to index on the SRE team because that's the one that's kind of top of mind. The insights that they've developed, the ability to dive into data and to get to a problem immediately, that is because Splunk and Mongo are sitting behind the scenes for us, and that's what's generating all the insights. So it's a great partnership. It is I think together is great technology that does exactly what our teams need to do in real time. Yeah. Yeah. As Michael said, uh, I think last year at Dell Tech World, you know, your business is the rocket ship and data is the fuel. Well, I uh, tell you what, uh, Splunk is the engine that's helping us burn that fuel, right? To get those insights, those key critical insights that actually help us transform into the future business we want to be. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you all both for uh, for joining us on the Big Data Beard podcast and sharing with us really, you know, how Dell Digital has accelerated what was already a clearly uh, uh, a rocket ship towards digital transformation, even in light of what's going on in 2020. And we'll look forward to catching up and hearing uh, more, both at Dell Technologies World and at Splunks.conf, because I know the teams are uh, being presented in both of those great conferences. But before we let you go, I want to uh, have a quick conversation about a section we call Rapid Fire. We've learned a lot about our guests today, but now it's time to get a bit more personal in a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Well, let's get started with Rapid Fire. Janine, i got to ask you first, what has been the most productive thing that you have been able to do during this COVID pandemic? Outside of work exercise. That's good. Will, what about you? I actually keep my house clean now. It's great. <laughs> well, you're never leaving it again, so they better yeah. clean. <laughs> right. Well, well, I'm curious. Have there has there been any books that you've read recently that you'd recommend to our listeners? I am just finishing up the biography of Benjamin Franklin by Walter Isaacson. It is a phenomenal read and a lot of great insights to a great historical figure. I would highly recommend. Huge, it. huge fan of Isaacson. Anything he writes, you got to pick it up. Awesome work, Janine. How about you? I'm reading The Hundred Year Life, which on one hand. Um, I was nervous to read it because I was like, oh, gosh, do I really want to go through this? And on the other hand, it's actually provided wonderful insight into, you know, kind of how you build for, for a future that's a reality. Nice. Now, uh, in that 100-year life, you're probably going to have lots of time to watch shows. So are there, any, <laughs> are there any that you're binging on these days? 
So just truth be told, I'm really not very exciting there. I'm an avid Weather Channel watcher. There you um, go. And I only binge when my kids are home from college. There you go. Will, how about you? Any shows that are uh, top of mind? I don't really watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I usually watch anime. And I've been watching uh, Death Parade, which has been a phenomenal watch for anybody who's into anime. <laughs> cool. Yep. All right, Will, so I'm curious from your perspective, what is your favorite piece of technology right now? My XPS 13 by far. Gets the most use and is absolutely everything I need it to be when I need it to be there. Nice. Janine, how about you? What's your favorite piece of tech? Uh, I kind of could hug our cloud platform, but like, you know, um, I kind of do love my XPS too, so I would be remiss if I didn't yeah. uh, agree with yeah. Will on that. But you know what? I love our cloud platforms and I love our pipeline. So Janine, your, your favorite could be my second favorite, my Alienware, because I game all the time on it. <laughs> oh, see, now we got to ask a follow-up question. What game are you playing? Uh, Civ Six, longtime fan of the Civ series. All right, uh, cool. That's what I'm playing right now. Janine, when we can travel again uh, freely, where will you be going on your first trip? Cabo. Cabo, good choice. Some tuna tacos and some beach time. I like it. Well, how about you? Bangalore, actually. I love Bangalore, and we have a huge team there. They're the most fantastic, warm, welcoming people I know, so I can't wait to get back and see the team. That is awesome. They are awesome. I've actually been to that office uh, a couple times, and they are fantastic. Now, where can our uh, where can our audience find you all on social media? Will, how about you? Uh, find me on LinkedIn under my name, Will Hudson. And, excellent. And Janine, how about Ditto. you? Ditto. Ditto LinkedIn. Uh, it's the social yeah, me social media network of the business person. Fantastic. That's right. Well, hey. You too from Dell Digital, Janine. Well, it's been awesome to talk with you. We appreciate hearing your vision, how you're driving the team forward, and hope you have a great Dell Technologies world. And we look forward to everybody tuning in for the uh, the rest of the virtual race to Splunks.conf. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Big Data Beard Podcast on our virtual race to .conf 2020. For more information and to see all of the virtual race content, check out bigdatabeard.com forward slash br2c. Special thanks to our partners, Splunk, Dell Technologies, Red River, Hippo Digital, Intel, Arrow, and McLaren.